Hello and welcome to Think Which Service from NHS Shropshire, Telford and Rekin. I'm Dr Ranj Singh and I'm chatting with other health professionals to get the best advice on how you can take good care of yourself and if you need help, which is the best NHS service to use. There are a range of local NHS services to choose from and you don't always need to go and see a GP or go to A&E. In this episode, we're talking about how to stay healthy and well. And joining me today is Dr Nick White, who is the Chief Medical Officer for NHS Shropshire, Telford and Rekin. During the COVID-19 pandemic, his role became far more operational and he led the Regional Adult Critical Care Operational Capacity and Recovery Cells. Yes, I know that is a long title. He is also a plastic and craniofacial surgeon by background and will continue to work clinically part-time. Alongside us is Dr. Jenel Middleton, who works as a GP with an extended role in MSK medicine at the Robert Jones and Agnes Hunt Orthopaedic Hospital in Oswestry. On top of this, Dr. Middleton is the academy doctor at Shrewsbury Town Football Club, working with young players making their way up through the ranks. She also supports British Gymnastics for event cover, which included working at the 2022 World Gymnastics Championships. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ange. Hello there. Okay, so we've got so much to talk about. I'm going to launch right in, starting with you, Jenna. What do we actually mean when we talk about well-being and how is it different to health? Um, I would say that well-being is quite a broad term, um, which includes both physical and mental health as well. Um, I would see well-being more, being more of a, a descriptive term, which encompasses physical health um, within that. Um, and then health, physical health is what most people would assume with health. Um, but in the context of well-being, I think that's more kind of functional abilities. So um if people feel feel their physically their physical health is good and well, then their well being is good. Um, so they're able to get to the shops or manage around the house. Generally, being physically active enough to enable their good mental health, really. Yeah, and is that something you would agree with, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. So you now, as nurses and doctors, people focus about ill health, but so much ill health can be avoided if people just look after their well being. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I like this concept of well-being a much more broader term that encompasses a lot more and health kind of seems to be part of that well-being also I think encompasses whether you're able to live your day-to-day life and do your day-to-day activities and everything else that's going on at home uh, and at work etc etc in that case if we're going to talk about staying healthy and contributing to our well-being what are the little things that people can do to help them stay active and well so I think I think the key thing with this is just to recognise that everybody's different. Um, so different people will have different circumstances, and that really will impact on how people can stay active and well. Um, so one of the most important things is being physically active, um, but that's not possible for some people. Um, but there are ways that we can work around that. Um, but being physically active releases endorphins uh, and that will promote good um, emotional well-being, but it is harder for some people than other uh, than others. Um, so I, I think if we're looking at activity levels and things like that, we're encouraged to try and do um, 150 minutes of, of moderate activity in a week, which for some people is quite daunting. But actually, if you break it down um, into little chunks, it actually becomes 
less daunting and more manageable. Um, so I would say that's one of the, the most important ways that people can stay active. Um, and that could just be a 15-minute brisk walk twice a day. Yeah. Um, I think when, when we look at it as 150 minutes a week, it sounds like a lot to me. It does, yeah. It really <laughs> does. And I think that's off-putting. And I think that's probably one place where we could do a bit better in our messaging. It's like, it's 30 minutes a day. So, you know, half an hour a day of just a bit of physical activity. And actually, I'd go beyond that and say that not everyone is able to or lucky enough to do half an hour of physical activity a day, especially moderate activity, especially if you're differently abled. So whatever you can do is better than nothing at all. Is that something you'd agree with, Nick? Or what sort of tips have you got to stay active and well. We're not asking everybody to become a sports superstar, isn't it? You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's about just, just basic little things, as Jenna said. You know, going for a walk in a park, you know, taking your dog for a walk once a day. If you're going down the local shops rather than drive, why don't you walk and carry, you know, one bag of shopping back? It's just those little habits and like, you know, all habits. If you get into routine, good habits, it just all makes a difference. I like that. I like that. Carry your shopping home. I remember doing that once upon a time before the days of home delivery services <laughs> and the like. Um, Nick, one thing I'd like to ask you is that staying active and well isn't just the responsibility of, I suppose, the general public. The s- services around them have to enable that and make that easier. How do councils and local NHS services work together on this kind of thing to get people well and get them staying active? Two parts to that is one is having the facilities and resources available and the other part is letting people access them and know about them. So I had this grand title, don't I, being a medical director of this, that and the other. But yes. <laughs> the integrated care system is actually the NHS you know, working with the local councils together to make people's lives better. That's the whole purpose of what we do. And so the local council, you know, they do have great facilities out there, being the sports centres, the parks. There's lots there. And they also support a lot of local charities, not just charities, just local voluntary organisations who put an awful lot of um, classes on and open events you can attend. So part of it is those events happening, which they do always happen, but then knowing about them and having access to them. So, you know, it's not just a question of, you know, the, the fit people going to the gym five times a week. That's great. You've got to encourage it. But it's getting people who wouldn't normally go out, whether they don't have the time or the confidence or the access to these facilities, getting them out and about. So, you know, if you know somebody who may not be as physically able as you are, why not often give them a lift to their, five, to their favourite club, their favourite activity? And that's not just about the physical side of things and being active. It's also addressing some of the potential um, potential mental health issues, particularly around loneliness. You know, we, we do talk about, you know, the big public health issues around, you know, we might talk about a bit about weight loss and obesity later on, even smoking, but mental health is such a big problem out there. And the key to that is loneliness and helping support people who may not have the breadth and depth of social contacts other people do. I totally agree. I think we focus so much when it comes to physical activity, we focus so much on physical health benefits. We totally forget or sometimes neglect that it's really good for your minds as well. Um, It's not just the endorphins that are floating around. It's myokines, which are substances that your muscles release when you're active and that has a directly positive effect on your brains. It's just the social aspect as well, because often when we do 
physical things. We tend to do them with other people or we end up interacting with other people. And one thing we definitely felt during the pandemic was that sense of loneliness and isolation. Absolutely. Okay, in that case, if we're going to encourage people to get out and about and do more stuff, we've got to remember that injuries can happen. We've got to remember that people are differently abled and able to do um, different amounts. Jenna, with your role as the MSK Medicines Link, what sort of musculoskeletal issues do people present to you with? Because I'm guessing you've seen it all, right? Yeah, I mean, I say I would be answering this question with two different hats on, my work in general practice and then my work as a GP within the orthopaedic hospital. Um, But actually, the the kind of patients we see are very similar between the two. Um, So yes, sports injuries makes up a bit of general practice. But I think in terms of uh, MSK stuff, it's people with joint pains. So back pain, knee pain, hand pain, hip pain, um, which can obviously be caused by a variety of things. But most typically, that would be arthritis um, for for a lot of patients um, or work-related back pain, things like that. So uh, yeah, our job really is to kind of tease out what we can manage within general practice and, and what needs signposting to physiotherapy um and and in all of that coming back to what we've talked about before encouraging people that being physically active is important for chronic pain type conditions um because we know that it can improve things uh, in the long term and reduce the rates of of having more flares of arthritis and things like that but it's it's getting people to um I suppose, to see the benefits of it when pain is such a barrier to starting that in the first place. That's what I was going to say. It's such a vicious cycle, though, because if you're in pain, it's harder to move around. And yet moving around helps with pain. So how do people break that cycle? Yeah, so it, 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 again, it's very individual for different people. Um, so for we, we know that pain is absolutely a, a real thing, but we also know that there is a, there is a, a psychological component to, to the pain pathways and that different people will experience pain in different ways. Um, so there's a big psychological element to it. But from the physical point of view, I think just echoing what Nick was saying before, doing something is better than doing nothing um, and building up strength in your muscles can be done in a chair you know before you get standing and mobile so if that you know we've got great resources within Shropshire for um, classes and things and physios that can come into the house who can work on that before then getting people actually doing the physical activities themselves so it's very tailored to different people so you have to get a bit more creative sometimes maybe think outside the box yeah I love that idea of um, doing activity in a chair because a lot of people don't realize that that still counts we do this wonderful thing on BBC Morning Live uh, called Strictly Fitness and we have a seated option so one minute of physical activity fun physical activity the end of the day and there is always a seated alternative or option what I would also like to know from both of you actually is that now that lots of us are working from home that's the aftermath of the pandemic and actually it's it's had good points and bad points um what advice would you give to someone who is working from home a lot in terms of improving their physical and mental well-being because that poses all sorts of different challenges we're not in contact with as many people as we used to be we're not out and about as much as we used to be just coincidentally going to and from work how can we ensure that people still pay the same amount of attention though a lot of this is going to speak from personal experience because we're all stuck on zoom calls and teams calls throughout the day aren't we and as i think it's getting the basics right 
So make sure that you know, wherever you work is a proper table and it's a proper chair and you've got the right, you know, distance between yourself and your screen. And I started wearing glasses during the pandemic and I stuck, stuck away from the hospital, you know, behind my laptop. I think it would have happened anyway, but get the basics right. And, you know, and there's lots of good information out there. If you're just doing internet search, be able to tell you, you know, how high your chair should be, how far away your laptop should be. I think that's important. And then there's make sure you take lots of breaks. Now, when you have calls all the time, make sure you don't have hour calls. Make sure they're 45-minute calls. So you've got a 15-minute call at the end, so you can walk outside your house, you know, check the post, you know, bring in milk, walk around the house, or whatever it is. And I think there's also something about snacking, and when you're working from home, are you more tempted to go into the kitchen and snack? I'm hiding my snacks as we speak. <laughs> should, should you be a bit more strict about yourself about mealtimes? I don't know. But there's lots of different ways. Find something which works for you and stick to it. But I think... Positioning is important, as you would do in a job. If you're working, you know, in a factory, you know, on a production line, there'll be lots of um, input about ergonomics and positioning and how you do things. But people working from home behind computers, you know, we just don't have that, do we? Oh, it's interesting you say make your meetings 45 minutes. That's why Zoom calls are only 40 minutes long for free, aren't they? So you get that 20-minute break afterwards. I think that's a really, really good idea. Jenna, what would your advice be to someone who's stuck at home a lot? I mean, I'm currently, this is... It was a really bad example. I am slouched over my kitchen work time, which is not an ergonomic way to work, I must admit. So I'm definitely going to be taking some of that advice. What would your advice be? Just echoing everything Nick said, really. But the one, the one other thing that we've um, started using at, at work as well as at home is standing desks. Um, so they can be really, really useful. Having the option just to, to prop your laptop up and, and be standing, um, if you're, again, if you're physically able. But it just, it burns more calories. It gets you standing and less stiff. Um, the other, and the other thing to mention is is green space. So um, there's an awful lot of evidence out there about um, sort of green and blue spaces. And I think if you're able to see out the window, um, it, it can help as well, just with the general well-being. But um, but definitely getting outside um, is really important. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's lovely for you to talk about green spaces in your wonderful part of the world. I'm in central London. There's not always a lot of green space around, around here. Blue sky, maybe? <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, currently, currently looks a bit grey. Does that count? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. There's so much good evidence around getting into green spaces and a direct positive effect on your mental well-being one thing I say to people is that we've all got phones and smartphones and smart devices now if you are at home and you're having to do a meeting why not do a walking meeting why not go out walk while you're on your call why do we always sit round desks and do meetings? I always think that's such a bad habit, especially now that we're doing it all remotely. I'm going to pose this question to both of you. It's a bit more general. How important is sport and exercise for maintaining good physical and mental health. I guess we've addressed this to some extent already. I'll start with you, Jenna. We know that they're just so closely interlinked in terms of the physical health and your mental well-being. And generally, more active people have would perceive their lives to be more healthy and their their general well-being better. Um, if we're looking at specifics, though, in relation to activity, um, there's really good ev- evidence there about uh, walking for 30 minutes a day. And I know we've talked about that 
that's not possible for some people. But for those that it is possible for, um, I generally just emphasise uh, things like it can Im- improve, your, obviously, your mental well-being. Um, it can half the risk of Alzheimer's. Um, it reduces the risk of colon cancer by up to 40%. Um, post breast cancer as well so if you've got a lady who has or or a gentleman who's had breast cancer before um, we know that recurrence is lower in people who who are more physically active um, can reduce back pain I I could go on for for ages I mean the (laughs) the list of potential well-being and benefits is is massive Um, but you have to tailor that to the to the people in front of you really and Nick do you have anything to add to that generally some really good points everything's interrelated is codependent so once you start making a small improvement somewhere in your life everything else starts to fall into place doesn't it so we're not doing saying oh just do one particular type of exercise because it's good for your heart we're saying do exercise is good for your heart it's good for digestive tract it's good for your mental health it's good for your joints so it's not about focusing on one thing a bit of general exercise and the question of sport and exercise and you know it doesn't have to be sport if you're not a sporty person for whatever reason does the right amount of exercise it does so much good in so many different ways yeah and and just adding to one of the points that jenna made earlier if you if you're at home and you're sitting in a desk if you're lucky enough to have a standing desk fantastic if not just alternating your position between sitting and standing every sort of 20 or 30 minutes is really really helpful and really good okay we're going to change tact ever so slightly now going back to i guess the ethos of these podcasts starting with you nick we hear in the news all the time that the nhs is under immense pressure everybody listening will be aware of this everybody working in the nhs is acutely aware of this why is that everybody's busy yeah, because for whatever reason, there's lots of ill health out in the community and people need to be looked after and cared for. Um, it's probably felt most acutely in the emergency department for hospitals. In <laughs> Shropshire, okay. you know, we've got the Royal Shrewsbury Hospital in Shrewsbury and the Princess Royal in Telford. And most of the newspaper headlines, if you like, relate to waiting times, emergency departments and queuing in ambulances. But it's the entire, we talk about patient pathways, but what we really mean is patient journeys. So, you know, when patients start to feel ill, they might ring 111 or they might go to the GP and then they might turn up at the emergency department. So every single step in a pathway, there's pressure. There's more and more people you know, need to be cared for. But, and it's important. And what we need to do is enable people to make the right choice and depending, you know, what landline condition is or how they feel, patients, can, you know, a lot of patients do diagnose themselves and exactly what's wrong, but others do need the help of um, health and care professionals to do that. It's to just access the right type of service. Go to the place where you'd be best looked after. Uh, and that's really is the underlying message you want to get across in these podcasts. And Jenna, that, that pressure is definitely felt in GP services and primary care, isn't it? Yeah, massively, massively. I think, um, you know, there's no one reason why the NHS is under so much pressure. It's so multifactorial. But, you know, we are dealing with an ageing population um, and the complexity of patients that we're seeing and dealing with in general practice is, is you know, way higher than, than I've ever known it. I've been a GP for sort of 15, 16 years. And it's, um, yeah, it's def- there's definitely been a shift Um and and that adds to the pressure that we're all under. And I think time is probably our biggest constraint. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 
we'll all be aware that everyone is doing their absolute best at the moment, but there is a huge amount of pressure for for several different reasons. Availability of services, demand on services, it's all kind of gone through the roof. There's lots of advertising, though, at the moment, um, like Help Us Help You, that is trying to get people to take a bit more responsibility, to change their actions and behaviours, to try and take some of that pressure off local services. Jenna, why is it the public's responsibility to do that? I think we all have a degree of responsibility in our own health, but I think as health professionals, we have to understand that people need help in understanding that message and getting that forward. And um, certainly thinking from a from a general practice point of view, I think one of the things I would say is if, if, you, if you're phoning your GP, then... Um, universally people will the receptionists who are wonderful um will try to signpost you to the best resource available that might well be a gp appointment but we've got a huge team now um they might signpost you to the pharmacy or to a first contact physio who'd be an excellent first person to see so i guess responsibility i suppose lies a little bit with just acknowledging that the receptionist might well know the right place for you um but also being your own advocate as well so what what can people do then to take some of that pressure off themselves i mean they can listen to the receptionists who have one of the hardest jobs i think in primary care what else can they do then to take some of that pressure off yes yeah, so pharmacy would be a really good first port of call for some minor ailments um and um they can be really really good in um in signposting you to appropriate over-the-counter medication they certainly can't answer everything but if there's something that needs to come back to general practice they will signpost you in that direction um one on one online service as well as the the phone i know that the phone line uh was particularly around christmas time people it was overwhelmed and it was very difficult for people to get through but the the same sort of triage service works online as well um and that removes the telephone bits um the other thing that can be useful is most GP practices would have access to something called e-consultation um, where patients can fill in their information online and then they should get an answer back within 48 hours. Again, either signposting them to the right place or offering them an appointment. So this- Saves a bit of time and travel yeah. that, doesn't yeah. it, potentially? Nick, one thing I'd like to ask you is, is along similar lines is that we, we always say to the public, oh, right, OK, change your behaviour, do this. You know, there's this available, that available. Is there a part that we have to play as professionals, though, in the way we offer services? So we've been educating the public for a very long time. We've been trying to get health educational messages out for a long time. This is nothing new. And yet we are still experiencing growth and increased pressure. Is there something that we should be doing then as well? Or is, do you think there is still a lot of work to be done on that educational front? There is a lot of work to be done with people's understanding. But if you're unwell, you're going to be worried. And if, if you're worried, you're going to just want to get you know, the absolute best care as soon as possible, which would be all we do, you know, whether it's ourselves or for our friends or our family. So uh, if we always have to be understanding when people present to us. We always use the word "present," don't we, as as doctors? It's because they've got a genuine concern, and you've got to help them with that concern. So it's as much about being this idea of signposting people to the right to right services. And the point Jenna made earlier: it's not you know if you turn up to or try to book an appointment for GP's practice, and you say rather than seeing the general practitioner, you might see the practice nurse or the physio. You're not being fobbed off. It's because actually they're the right people, all highly trained professionals, they're experts in the field, and they'll be able to give a, a you the better support and the right type of care which you you need. Yeah, that's all about being. I, I, I suppose 
being confident in the advice that you're being given. And you've always got that option if if you don't get better or things aren't quite working out quite as you expect them to, you can go back and you can seek help again. And, you know, we don't always get it right first time round, but we are pretty good at usually signposting people to the right place, aren't we? Right, so... I mean, we could talk about this for a very long time. There's still so much I want to know. But we're going to round up with something a little bit more lighthearted. Because <laughs> I always think that it's nice to finish these on something a bit lighter. What I'd like to know is how do you personally find time to rest and refresh, Nick? Tell us. That's a great question. I think I mentioned it right at the beginning about walking a dog. So I've got Max who's a three-year-old golden retriever. He has a lockdown puppy. We, we got him um, just at, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And they used to do um, you know, teams and Zoom calls from the kitchen. But when he's about two or three months old, he chewed through the leads of my headphones. <laughs> Ever since then, I've been working in the in the dining room. But I, I take Max for a walk. I'm fortunate there's a nice woods, you know, around the corner from where I live. And, um, you know, we're recording this in the middle of May and the bluebells are just come out. <laughs> so anyway... Half an hour, in 45 minutes, once a day, I take Max a walk off a lead. I just go on the footpath. He goes bombing around the woods. And that's how I relax. And it's how I, both for my, my physical health and also my mental well-being. That is fantastic. I'm not advocating for everyone to go out and get a puppy. A puppy is for life, not just for exercise. <laughs> Jenna, what, what do you do to rest and refresh? I think anyone who would know me uh, would say I'm not very good at resting. Um, <laughs> uh, generally quite a busy person. But um, yeah, same as... Nick, uh, we have a, a we have a puppy who is nine now nine months old. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, getting out with the dog, we are very blessed in Shropshire with our green space that we have available. Um, but running and cycling as well. But really, one of the most important things I actually think is coming back to this idea of social connectedness. Yeah. I really like meeting my friends yeah. for coffee yeah. when I've got the time, and actually. I see that as as a good use of my time because it does keep your emotional well-being in check. So, oh, one hundred percent. I'm absolutely on board with that. Well, I don't have a puppy and I don't have huge woods and green spaces where I live. So I'm going to give the alternative view. I'm a massive fan of moving to music. So one thing I discovered during the pandemic, and for anyone who's you know spends a lot of time at home, Zumba, which is Zoom-based Zumba classes are really really good fun and in fact I've just been to a spin class because I love cycling to music and it means that I don't end up crashing into anything so I'm uh, unfortunately I don't have a puppy but I will be partaking in those a bit more later this week and that's all we have time for on this episode thank you so much to Dr Nick White and Dr Jenna Middleton for joining me on Think Which Service from NHS Shropshire, Telford and Rekin. You can find out more by visiting thinkwhichservice.co.uk. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you next time.